Good morning or happy Sunday, depending on when you catch this message. We love you, New Spring family. My name is Dan Leanne, and I get to serve as one of the teaching team here at New Spring Church. And we really hope and pray that this literally is the most encouraging hour of your entire week. That if you need some life, if you need some hope, if you need some joy, you're gonna get it in abundance right now. So if you know anyone right now who needs some encouragement, who needs some hope and needs some joy, share this with them. Call them, text them, post it on your Facebook, you know, put it on your Instagram. Let them know that encouragement is happening right now here at New Spring Church. Well, this series has been absolutely incredible. We're in week six of this Letters to the Church series where we explore the words of Jesus to not only the church back in the day, but to the church today. This, um, this portion of scripture is timeless, and it is timely. And I'm really excited to teach about the fifth letter here written, the letter to Sardis, or in American, Sardis. So if you get your Bibles, go with me to the book of Revelation, chapter three, verse one. The Bible says, to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Or in other words, these are the words of Jesus, the fullness of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, who holds the church. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious like them will be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear and take it to heart what the Spirit says to the churches. I wanna draw your attention there to the first verse. Jesus says to this church, Jesus says, to some of us. Hey, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're actually dead. Wake up. If you're taking down notes this Sunday, I want you to jot at the top of your notepad our sermon title, Wake Up. If you're a loving dad who wants to wake their children up, get them ready for school, Hey, wake up. If you're that dad who has a bunch of kids like my kids who sometimes kind of ignore you the first couple of times, hey, wake up! Wake up. Let's pray and we'll jump into this message. Lord Jesus, help us wake up. Amen. I've learned so much about viruses and vaccines over the last couple of months. Never used the word epidemiologist before. Now I use it all the time. 
Never thought about what an immunologist knows, now I reflect on that all the time. Never used the word asymptomatic before, now it's a natural part of my vocabulary. I've learned so much about viruses and vaccines. And one thing I've learned about vaccines is what a vaccine actually is. I never knew what a vaccine was. From the, from the treasure um, chest that is um, Google, this is the definition of a vaccine. A vaccine contains a dead or weakened version of a microbe. It helps your immune system recognize and destroy the living microbe during an infection. Or in other words, a vaccine basically is a dead version of a real thing that makes you immune to that real thing. That's what religion is for many people in the South. It's a dead version of a real relationship with God that actually prevents us from experiencing the effects of the life changing gospel. It looks real, it looks alive, it, it presents as vibrant, but the reality is it's dead. And not only is it dead, it holds you back from experiencing the work and the power of the living thing. That was what was happening in the church in Sardis. We don't know a heap about Sardis. It was about 30 miles southeast from Thyatira, kind of like from Anderson through to Greenwood, South Carolina. Uh, it was the fifth stop on this US Postal Service route where these letters were being delivered from Jesus to the church that he loves. We know that, that Sardis historically was a powerful fort city. It was built on a cliff it was the ancient capital of the Lydian Empire. Coins were first minted, gold and silver coins were first minted there in Sardis, making it a wealthy state. But besides that, we don't know a lot about Sardis except for the fact that it had a famous church. The Bible says here in verse one, they had a reputation or a name for their life. They were engaged in religious activity. Everyone who talked about the church of Sardis would say, you know what, that's a living church, that's a vibrant church, that's an active church, that's a transformed and transforming church, but Jesus, who knows life, because Jesus is the one who is life, could sniff it out. You look alive, you're acting alive, you're saying the right things, you're going through the holy motions, but I can pick it, all of these activities aren't actually life. You're actually dead. And here lovingly, he speaks to this church. Here lovingly, he speaks to many of us here in this part of the world. Because many of us know what it's like to be brought up in a culture that is incredibly religious, but we know that this religion is actually a substitute for a living, faith-based relationship, come on, with King Jesus. We know what it's like to be a part, in a part of a world that has a reputation for our religion. I remember when 
My family and I first announced that we were gonna move to Anderson, South Carolina to be a part of the New Spring family. So many of my friends and my family in Australia said, why are you going to America? Especially why are you going to the South? They don't need any more churches. They're like kind of like the shining light in the world right now as far as churches go. They don't need the gospel preached. And I can understand why a lot of people feel that way because we have a reputation for our religion. There is a church on every single corner. There is a, a cross that can be seen from every single hill. We say a blessing before every single meal. We say the Lord's Prayer before every single game. We, we, can, we can state the church that we belong to. At any given time, everyone around here is religious in some way, shape, or form. But could it be a dead version of something that could be so alive? Is it just religious acts? Could it be just some holy karaoke that we do at the beginning of a a service? Is it just a priestly pep talk that we sit through every now and then? A little bit of cash that we put in in the basket as it passes by? Just another box that we check off. Could this actually be a dead version of a living thing that actually prevents us from experiencing the transformation of the real thing? I've experienced it firsthand. I love preaching, I love teaching, but even more than that, I love sharing Jesus with anyone who God brings across my path. I don't care if you're lying next to me on a bench while I'm doing bench press, you're gonna hear about Jesus. I have an especial heart for college age young people. That's the reason I have a college age small group full of young men who go to a local college. And I just love sharing the gospel with with young men beginning their journey because that's where I had the gospel shared with me. I had my life transformed as a freshman in college, so that kind of seared deep into my heart, so I have been sharing the gospel with especially this age ever since. And it's incredible because my small group boys introduced me to some of their friends and we always end up at this little restaurant just out in Clemson, South Carolina, a little, little Korean place, and I find myself time and time again a little bit less over the last couple of months because of, because of COVID, but, but, but still, over, over the last couple of months, I've had a chance to sit down with young men and share with them the gospel. And what breaks my heart is this deja vu moment that I have time and time again. When you try to tell them about the love of God, when you try to tell them about the freedom and forgiveness that can be found in God, when you try to tell them about how the gospel is ultimately about their identity in God and through Christ, but how hard it is for them to receive it. Because somewhere along the line, they bought into a dead version of the real thing. And instead of seeing God as a loving father who introduces himself to us through his son and, and brings us into relationship with him, a transformational relationship with him through the spirit, God is an angry guy in the sky with a lightning bolt in his hand ready to take you out because you break his commands. That's what they think and it holds them back. It immunizes them from the real work of the beautiful gospel. I've seen it firsthand how religion can hold people back in the craziest way from the genuine relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. But because Jesus is good and Jesus is strong and Jesus is closer than you think, he cuts in on the conversation And he leads us out of death into life. 
He talks with us frankly about the dead version that is religion and he points towards this living relationship that we can actually have with him. And that's what he does here. He speaks to anyone who might be wrapped up by the cause of religion or legalism right now and says this is how you step into the life, the freedom, the forgiveness, the grace, the mercy, the joy, the hope, the faith that I wanna give you through this real friendship. How does he do that? Well, the first thing he says to anyone who has experienced the dead version but wants the real thing, he says, wake up. Wake up. Look at verse two, it says, wake up. No one likes the alarm. No one likes a wake up call. I don't know, there are some people out there, who are the people who love like the violent alarms? Because they know they fight. Are you one of those people? For me, that's way too harsh early in the morning. I'm more of a, a Tweety Bird one, okay? My phone goes tweet, tweet, tweet. Like, kind of, like, like birds are singing to me to, to, to wake me up. I know there are a lot of people in the South, like my brother Brad Cooper and Clayton King, who don't even need alarms because they got that country soul. They wake up automatically at 4.30, you know, ready to use a tractor and pray. Like there's some people who are like that. For me, I know that I need an alarm and in some way, shape or form, all of you all need an alarm at some point. No one likes alarms, but alarms are needed. No one likes a wake-up call, but wake-up calls are needed. And my friends, these last six months have been the biggest wake-up call you've ever experienced. Your faith has been exposed. Your foundations have been exposed. What you truly believe in has been exposed. And Jesus is simply saying, wake up. Recognize that for some of us, our faith is actually in tradition. Our faith is actually in a, like kind of a political bias or our faith is actually in the money that we have or the job that we do. Our faith and our foundations are in so many other things that aren't Jesus and he's saying wake up. I know for me, sometimes when the alarm goes off, I like hitting the snooze button. Just give me that extra eight minutes. I'm not gonna lie to you, there have been a few times in my life where I've hit snooze button after snooze button after snooze button and missed an appointment. Stop hitting the snooze button. Stop, stop praying for everything to go back to normal. Stop, stop wishing that this season never happened and embrace it for what it is. Embrace it for what it could be. The wake-up call that could actually save your eternal soul. I profess with my lips that he is Lord, Lord. I even went to church every now and then. I would check on that box when I was doing a census or a survey, yes, I'm a Christian, but what I clung to through this crisis revealed my Christ and it isn't Jesus. Wake up and embrace this shaking, stirring, disturbing season for what it could be, the wake up call that you needed. Number two, he says, remember. I love how in verse three he says, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Hey, hey, remember when you were at elementary school, maybe kindergarten, and you play that game, 
telephone. You know, telephone is basically that game where you kind of, you, you share a message with one person and then they share it with another person and they share it with another person and by the end of the line, it gets totally messed up. Telephone has happened to the gospel in the South. Somewhere along the line, this original message that God so loved the world that he gave us his son Jesus so that if we would believe in him, we wouldn't spend eternity apart from him, but we were beginning, we would begin to live life to the full with him starting today, going into forever. That was the original message. Somewhere along the line, that became, for God only loves the lovable. God will only do good for the good. He gave us his son Jesus to tell us to behave and if we keep the rules, follow the regulations and don't sin, we can make our own way to heaven. For so many people, when you really press them on what the message of the church is, you will see that a massive game of telephone has taken place. Here Jesus is saying, time out, hit the pause button, I'm throwing a flag, every other kind of sports reference that I can throw in there. Stop! And remember, the first beautiful message that I whispered into your ear. You are loved because God is love. He wants to do good because every wafting of his hand brings good. He gave us Jesus. Religion says you have to climb your way to him. The gospel declares the God who came after you. Believe in him and let that relationship transform you from the inside out. Remember the original whisper. You are loved. You are valued, you are seen, God has come for you. And every good thing in life is an extension of that relationship that you choose to step into with him. Remember. And thirdly and lastly, repent. Wake up. Remember. Repent. In verse three it says, repent. That for me has been the word of this series. Every single week, as Mare has taught, as Clayton has taught, as Brad has taught, as I've reflected throughout the course of the week, that's the word that keeps springing forth. Repent. Now I get for a lot of people, especially in this part of the world, that's a heavy word, it's intense. You don't see the word repent around very much. Maybe when you're driving on the highway, someone has like kind of bought out a billboard and they always put it in like bright red letters, repent. You know, like you see it out there and for some people it's like a very judgy word. It's a finger pointy word. But when you understand who speaks it and when you understand what you get for it, it goes from a judgy, heavy, religious word to becoming the most life-giving word your ears will ever hear. When you understand it is loving King Jesus saying, repent, turn around. I was in Seattle last week for some vacation with my family. We just went and eat some good food and catch up with some friends who had just moved there and 
And I drove around in Seattle for a couple of days, and I'm, I'm here to share with you, it was, it was difficult. It was hard because in, in Seattle, there's traffic. Um, there are roads with more than one lane. Um, people use indicators, it confused me. Um, and I got lost more than once. And there were times where the GPS would say to me, turn around, turn around. Now, I could have gone with what I thought was the best way forward. I could have listened to my wife who was yelling in my ear, or I could listen to the one who really knew where to go. Mm. The one who had the destination in mind and knows the best path to get there. That's all repentance is. Jesus lovingly telling you to turn around. Whatever your chips are in on right now, pull them off and put them on him. Repent. And what you get for it is what Sardis was promised. He said, you're gonna to get to walk with Jesus, experiencing a real relationship with him. You're gonna be dressed in white, all of the stains, all of the scars, all of the mistakes, all of the smudges from your past wiped clean, and your name will be in the book of life. Salvation eternal. Now I'll be honest with you, I don't fully understand the book of life. Is it written in ink or in pencil? Is it closed or is it still open for reservations? These are questions that I will ask Jesus one day. I just know this, that number one, you're going to want your name in the book of life. Number two, faith responding to His grace plays a role in your name being in that book. There's some reservations that you can take advantage of if you know someone else's name. I remember going out for a meal one time with the teaching team and I got there to this nice restaurant. And I said, hey, Dan Leanne is my name. They didn't know my name. Can you just check for King? No, no, so King's name was there. Hey, can you check for Cooper? Yeah, Cooper's got a party here. I got to sit at the table. There will come a day where you stand before King Jesus. And my name, your pastor's name, your spouse's name, your faithful parents' name, your faithful kids' names won't count for you. It is your name. And what I would love to do as we wrap up our time together is I would love a chance for someone here to actually wake up, to remember this beautiful gospel that Jesus came to give and to actually turn their personal lives over to Him. I'm gonna pray a really simple prayer and in the midst of the chaos and the confusion, the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns, there's someone here today who is going to wake up and embrace Jesus as their faith foundation. If you know, if you've been putting your hope in your traditions or your religion or your biases, if you've been putting your hope in your money or your wealth or your capacity, come on, put your faith in Jesus. So let me pray. And if you know that you need to turn your heart to Him and put your trust in Him, just pray this out loud. Dear Jesus, I'm waking up. Thank you for this glorious gospel. I repent and put my trust in you. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I believe that you have come from death to life 
that you've crossed over into a relationship with Him that will flow into forever. We're pumped about your jump, but we're committed to your journey. So text Jesus to 30303. We would love to follow up with you. We love you so much. Thank you so much for taking time to gather around the Word with us. And we're just hoping and praying that as you reflect on these words from Jesus this week, death would be pushed out as a living relationship with Him comes to the center of your journey. Hey, we just wanna let you know of a few things. Tonight, we're gonna have uh, a prayer night. We've been doing it every single Sunday night in all of our campuses in some way, shape, or form. Before that, from six to seven, we're gonna be gathering together and we're gonna be putting together You Are Loved packages to love on the state of South Carolina in a difficult time. For everyone, we love you to come along next Friday, this coming Friday. We're gonna have a celebration time for 40 days of prayer and fasting, believing that the miraculous has unfolded before our very eyes and some things have happened in the unseen that we will give glory to God for one day. For the rest of you, we love you. Stay safe. You are so valued. Believing for life to invade your journey as you walk with the real King Jesus. God bless, and we may be seeing you in person very soon.